0: Deal with it, or it will deal with you. This truth was illustrated in a powerful way in an old Twilight Zone episode entitled The Masks, one of my personal favorites. It's the story of a wealthy old man named Jason Foster, who is sick and very close to death. On the night he knows he'll die, he calls in his four heirs, Wilfred, Emily, Paula, and Wilfred Jr. When they first get there, when they first arrive on the scene, they pretend to be sad and upset that Jason's about to leave them. They do their best to put on a really good act. But Jason isn't fooled. And he tells them so. He says that he knows how they really feel deep down inside. They can't wait for him to kick the bucket, so to speak, so that they can get their hands on all of his money and all of his property and divide it among themselves. Then he tells them that they will soon have their wish fulfilled. His estate will soon be theirs. But only on one condition. They have to wear masks over their faces and not take them off until midnight that evening. And these aren't ordinary Halloween masks. Jason has had them specially made for his four relatives. Each has been designed to match some aspect of the character of the relative who would put it on. The first, for example, had the expression of a selfish miser because one of them was just that. The second had the expression of a coward. The third had the face, the look of a vain, proud person. The fourth had the look of a sadist. As you might imagine, these were very ugly masks. Well, the hours go by, the four heirs complain more and more about the masks because they become more and more uncomfortable to wear. But they do manage to keep them on until, at last, the clock strikes midnight. At that precise moment, Jason dies. He passes away in their presence. And they rejoice. At long last, they'll have exactly what they want. His money, his property, everything. But not so fast. In one of those typical Twilight Zone twists, They end up paying a very hefty, pardon the pun, price for their inheritance because when they take off their masks, they suddenly discover that their faces have been disfigured, permanently disfigured. Each of them has taken on the ugly, grotesque image of the mask they had been wearing. Deal with it, or it will deal with you. In this Twilight Zone episode, Rod Serling was trying to help us understand that whatever is inside of a person, good or bad, will eventually come out and be revealed to others. If our heart is filled with faith, hope, and charity, for example, that fact will eventually become clear to the people we live with. It's probably already clear to them whether it's in our those realities are in our heart or not. But that reality will eventually become clear to the people we work with, the people we interact with every day. And those people will be greatly blessed in the process through our loving words and our loving, kind, compassionate actions. If, on the other hand, our heart is filled with unresolved anger or unforgiveness or some other negative attitude, as was the case for the four heirs in that story, that fact will also become evident to those around us at some point in time. And they will not be greatly blessed in the process. Quite oppositely, they will be forced to cope with our uncharitable actions and our uncharitable words. And so, we have to deal with it. Whenever necessary, we have to deal with the negative attitude or emotion or temptation that we find in our heart, or it will deal with us by leading us into sin. Deal with it, or it will deal with you. Providentially, all three, and this doesn't happen too often, but today it does, It's providential. All three of our scripture readings today make this same point for us, although in slightly different ways. In our first reading, we hear a prophetic text from the Book of Wisdom, chapter 2, a text that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, about a hundred years after it was written. It was fulfilled, of course, during the first Holy Week. The passage speaks of an innocent man who was persecuted and eventually murdered by his enemies. Why? Because those enemies were filled with anger and envy. And they didn't deal with it. They're quoted here as saying, let us beset the just one because he's obnoxious to us. He sets himself against our doings, reproaches us for transgressions of the law, and charges us with violations of our training. Those are angry words, words saturated with envy. They failed to deal with those realities that were present in their hearts, the anger, the envy, and everything else. And so, it dealt with them by leading them to kill an innocent human being. As they say toward the very end of the text, let us condemn him to a shameful death. This passage, sad to say, could easily have been written about modern-day terrorists. Think about it. Terrorists are filled with anger. Maybe take it a step further. They are filled with rage. And they often are filled with envy, and they don't deal with any of it, nor do they care to. So it deals with them, and the rest of the world suffers the consequences. St. James said it perfectly in that second reading, did he not? That text from chapters 3 and 4 of his letter, he writes, these are powerful words, Beloved, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every foul practice. In other words, you have jealousy in your heart, selfish ambition there, and you don't deal with it, it will deal with you and cause disorder all around you and will lead you to engage in every foul practice. And then this line, How timely, how powerful is this? Where do the wars and where do the conflicts among you come from? Is it not your passions that make war within your members? Within your very bodies, in other words. His implicit message there is simple. Deal with it. Deal with whatever disordered passion is making war within your members right now or it will certainly deal with you." This incidentally is one reason why it's a very good idea to go to confession regularly, even if you don't have a mortal sin on your soul. It's because we're always battling this stuff, are we not? I certainly am. And this disordered passion that St. James speaks about can be something as common and as subtle as pride. And it very often is. In today's gospel text from Mark 9, Jesus confronts his 12 apostles about an argument they had been having among themselves on their journey to Capernaum. He says to them, What were you guys arguing about on the way? Now, Jesus already knew He was God. He is God. He said it to test their response. They were honest with him. They knew they had better be. It turns out they had been arguing amongst themselves about who was the greatest. Numero uno. The big cheese of the apostolic group. That was the substance of their quarrel. But you see, this argument didn't just happen. It had a root cause, namely pride. Each of these men was filled with sinful pride, and each of them failed to deal with it through repentance. And so it dealt with them. By leading them into this verbal battle royal, that could have permanently destroyed the relationship they had with one another. It could have split them off forever, split them apart. If you need any further proof that dealing with our disordered passions is extremely important, all you have to do is think of the recent actions of certain Muslims who were deeply upset at what Pope Benedict said at the University of Regensburg on September 12th. These extremists burned the Pope in effigy, shot a Catholic nun in cold blood, and firebombed at least seven churches in the West Bank, to mention but a few of their evil activities. But this really shouldn't surprise us, should it? especially not after this homily. This is what we should expect from those who refuse to deal with their anger in a constructive way. And they want us to call their religion the religion of peace? Be clear about it. Actions like theirs do not lead to peace. So if you're feeling some unjustified anger in your heart right now, and some of you may be, please deal with it. And don't try to do it alone, because you don't have to do it alone. Ask the Lord for that grace, especially after you receive him in the Holy Eucharist today. You have the very presence of the Lord in you, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Ask Him at that time, especially when you go back to your pews to pray, for the grace to deal with it. Because if you don't, know that it will deal with you. By the same token, if you're experiencing some other disordered passion, now or in the future, the temptation to be lustful or envious, or gluttonous, or greedy, or slothful, or prideful. Make a resolution today to deal with it as soon as you recognize it. As soon as you recognize its presence there. Or understand that it will deal with you. This is the simple, and I think very clear, warning That God gives us today through his holy word. He gives it to us. We need to understand this. He gives it to us because he loves us. And wants us to be happy. May he also give us the grace to take it seriously.